You're listening to the What The Fab podcast, where empowered women empower women through candid conversations, inspiring stories, and tangible tips. I'm your host, Elise Armitage. I'm a digital creator, and I left my nine to five job at Google to chase my dreams of being an entrepreneur. I'm so happy to have you here. Let's get into some real talk. Hello, and welcome back to the What the Fab podcast. We took a brief little hiatus, but we're back. I took a break for a few weeks, maybe a month, if I'm being honest. And that was because I've been traveling, y'all. I have been living that jet set life, and it feels so good to be able to say that, to do that. You know, I'm a travel and lifestyle blogger, and it was tough over the last year. I know it was hard for everyone being cooped up, but especially when you're business, a good chunk of your business revolves around traveling and travel collaborations and travel content, it required a big pivot. So it definitely has felt good, but exhausting to be back on my travel blogger game, but I'm super grateful. And I am just hoping that this Delta variant doesn't, you know, kill my vibe. Things are not looking great, but I'm just planning on continuing living my life until it's unsafe to do so and I have to hunker down at home again. Hopefully that doesn't happen, but I know everybody is talking about that potential and there's a lot of uncertainty in the air. I'm feeling it. My husband's feeling it. You're probably feeling it too. So hang in there, everybody. You know, do your part. If you're not vaccinated, maybe take a look at the numbers of the states that are largely unvaccinated and how they're exploding with the Delta variant and like maybe reconsider. Just a thought. So let's talk about something I was about to say more fun, but the topic of this episode is it's not a positive one, guys. It's a good one. Like it's an important topic. And I think you guys are going to be shocked a little bit. The topic of this episode is discussing my experience with an online stalker and how I found out that one of my really close blogger friends had the same stalker harassing her at the same time before she and I even knew each other or were connected or friends or anything. So it was pretty wild. And this whole situation with this stalker was something that I have never spoken about on my platforms until now. I haven't heard from him in a couple of years. And honestly, that's how long it took for me to heal from this whole experience and feel comfortable talking about it publicly. So we are going to get all into the super gnarly details in this episode. And I am joined by my blogger babe friend, Lauren Hawk, in this episode. And so Lauren is a travel and lifestyle blogger based in Salt Lake City. You might recognize her because this is actually her second time being on the What the Fab podcast. She was also on episode 17 and it's a great episode. I highly recommend if you haven't listened to it yet to go back and give it a listen. She talks about her experience leaving the Mormon church and it is fascinating. And so Lauren is is the friend that I found out that we shared the same online stalker. So we are 
are about to get into it. You can find Lauren on her Instagram, Lauren Cakes, and Lauren is spelled L-A-U-R-Y-N, and her blog is laurencakes.com. And I talk about it in this episode, but I just so appreciate her being willing to come on and discuss with me. I think, you know, you'll get the sense when you listen to it, but it's not easy to talk about. But now that some time has passed and we've taken some action towards just kind of recovering and healing, it's easier to talk about now. So with that, let's dive into the episode. Amazing. Okay. Thanks everyone for joining. We're having an interesting conversation today. So Lauren, we are live on IG. We are also recording for the What The Fab podcast. It's my first time doing this and the tech is actually working out just fine, shockingly. But here we are. So Lauren is the blogger behind Lauren Cakes and she's actually my first repeat guest on the What The Fab podcast, which is very exciting. And so if you guys haven't listened to Lauren's episode yet, it's number seven. 17. She talks all about her personal journey with mental health and also with her experience leaving the Mormon church. It's a super interesting, very empowering story. So I know you guys will really enjoy that. So again, it's episode number 17. A little context for how Lauren and I know each other. We met because we joined a diverse travel blogger group called Babes That Wander. We just had our very first press trip to Chicago last week and we kind of you know, over the pandemic, since we had launched the travel group right before the pandemic hit, we were just in touch with each other, you know, over DMs and Slack and kind of getting ready to launch this group. And during that time, we found out something really shocking about each other. And that was that we both had the same online stalker for years. And this was before we even knew each other, before we were friends, before we were connected in any way. So it was like, I was shooketh when we found out that like that was a thing. So I'll kind of take a step back and connect the dots of how we found this out. And then Lauren, I have some like specific questions for you and we'll just get into all the crazy details. So how we found out we had the same stalker was a little bit wild. We are both part of a Facebook group that's for bloggers. It's the reward style Facebook group. And I saw that another blogger had left a question in there about, and this is also disturbing, she was noticing that anytime she posted a picture of her young son, it got way more activity than her normal photos. So it was like more saves, more shares, like kind of the like lurker activity, not necessarily the comments. And so she was asking for advice on how to deal with that. And I saw Lauren's comment in response and just the way what you wrote, I was like, oh, Lauren knows too much about this to like have not (laughs) had to deal with a stalker because you were like, you know, if it was your website, you could block the VPN. But unfortunately on Instagram, you know, the only safest thing to do is just not post pictures of your children. And, you know, you said something else. So I immediately messaged you and I was like, Hey, I saw your response to this question in the reward style Facebook group. Like you must've had an online stalker too. I'm so sorry that you had to deal with this. And you were like, yeah, it's horrible. Like, wouldn't it be crazy if we had the same stalker in my head? I was like, yeah, there's no way that would just be like so wild. And then you told me like, I don't know much about him, but his fake email or username was XYZ. 
And I was like, holy shit, that was my stalker. Like he stalked me for years. We had the same stalker. So like I have goosebumps like talking about it right now. It was like such a weird realization. But Lauren, why don't you kind of start by sharing what your first interactions were with your slash our stalker and how you first became aware of this person? You know, my first interactions that I recognized were probably on my blog. This stalker was leaving comments on my blog and they were sexually suggestive. I, they were unwarranted advances, nothing that I felt like I had asked for or promoted. They started leaving comments and I stopped allowing them to come through because of the stalker and because of their aggressiveness. I actually turned off my comments so that I had to approve all of them. I didn't want them to come through anymore on my blog. They made me feel extremely uncomfortable. I could, they were coming onto my IG and seeing something that I had posted on my stories or on my Instagram feed. And then they were going back onto my blog and they were posting something that was suggestive about it. So let's say I pose, I'm like leaning forward on my legs. They would have said something super suggestive about it. And I'm like, Whoa, I was just posing. I was not asking to have any sort of, I don't know what the word is. I just, I wasn't looking to have anybody come after what I was doing or say anything about what I was doing in a suggestive way. And so it took me a while to kind of realize that this was a stalker. I get quite a few comments on my blog and a lot of them go to spam. And so I just, I didn't really notice for a little bit. And then after a while, I was like, wait, this is the same commenter. They have the same email. And I wasn't sure who it was. They put their first name on this email or in the comments. But other than that, I really couldn't find out who they were. I ended up going through all of my Instagram story views because when you have an account that is a creator account or a business account, I don't know if this is on a regular account too, you can see who is viewing your stories. And I knew that this person that was commenting on my blog was also viewing my stories because they would obviously comment on those. So I was going through every single name individually and like, do I know this person? Have I interacted with this person? Do I think that this person is trustworthy? And I started blocking people. And sometimes people might not even deserve to have been blocked. It was just, I don't know if I have enough background on this person to trust that they are not my stalker. So I'm going to block them from viewing my stories to try to prevent that from happening further. And that is when I started to get like a little bit more paranoid about having a stalker. And that was my real first interaction. Like I said, I don't know when initially happened that it hit me, but that was the first like story of how I remember it coming to be. What about you? Yeah. So for me, what year was that, that he first like contacted you? When I've looked back more recently, because I felt more comfortable last year and the year before, I really wasn't comfortable in going back and viewing and seeing when these started. But this year I felt like I've healed a little bit and I was ready and prepared for it. So uh, I looked back more recently and it said the first comment came in 2014 and I started my blog in December of 2013. So this would have happened like, right when I started my blog. But like I said, it took me a really long time to figure out that that is what was going on. 
Yeah. So for me, it was kind of, it was similar. It was 2015 and kind of similar thing. It started with some emails and some blog comments. And at first they weren't suggestive or sexual in nature, but they were definitely off. Like they were odd. They had kind of strange, like stream of consciousness type of writing, like long run on sentences, the grammar and the punctuation was off. So it was like, there's something off here. And at first it was more pertaining to content, but like I said, it was still strange and similar to what you said, like it would be not necessarily content from my blog. It would be like something I posted on my Instagram story or something that I posted on, you know, something I tweeted. I don't even tweet anymore. That's like how you know far back this goes. <laughs> um, so I would tweet something or share something on my stories. And then he would email me or comment on a random blog post about that specific tweet or story. So it might be like, Oh, I saw that you're in Santa Barbara right now. Go to, I love this restaurant. I have really great memories here, like blah, blah, blah. And this kind of like odd, stream of consciousness. And then after a while, like I ignored those because there wasn't anything inherently wrong or upsetting about them, but then they did start to get increasingly sexual. And so then it started to become about me, my appearance, my body, my legs, you know, the way I was posing, things like that. And that's when obviously I became like much more uncomfortable with it. And then one shocking thing that happened was, so he ended up buying some of a piece of my clothing from Poshmark and I didn't know it. And so for listeners, if you're not familiar with Poshmark, it's an app where you can sell gently used clothes and, you know, being bloggers, like a lot of bloggers will sell, will shoot an item of clothing and then sell it on Poshmark if they're not using it anymore. And so I was making like probably a few sales a week and And it actually wasn't uncommon for a man to buy something from my Poshmark store. Sometimes I would get comments like, this is for my daughter. This is for my wife. Like, do you think she'll like this shade? She's a brunette, like whatever. So I think if I had seen a man's name, it wouldn't have been like a red flag or anything for me. So I didn't realize it until a couple weeks later, I got an email from him from the stalker saying how special it was to have an item of my clothing, which is so fucking disgusting. And I don't have to spell (laughs) it out for you guys, like what he was probably doing with that item of clothing. And so that was really disturbing to have happen. So that was 2015. And then over the next couple of years, like when that happened, I told him, do not ever contact me again. And I didn't hear from him for like a half a year and I thought that it had stopped, but then he popped back up again. So that kind of happened off and on for the next couple of years. Like I would tell him to stop contacting me. He would for, you know, a few months, six months, and then I would hear from him again. Um, So it was becoming obvious that he wasn't stopping. So I was thinking like, well, what can I do? I felt pretty powerless in the situation. So I thought, okay, first I'm going to reverse stalk him and I'm going to find out everything I can about him. And like, if I want to file a restraining order, like I need somewhere to send the restraining order to. And because he had made that Poshmark order, I had his full name and it wasn't his home address, but I had his PO box. And you can find out a lot about a person from their full name and their PO box. So I ended up researching him, finding his business, in Pasadena, finding his home address. I was able to uncover his ethnicity. His I found his wife's information, her ethnicity, like just lots of, you know, little things like that to kind of start to 
piece together this puzzle. And it was really odd to think like, you know, finding his business reviews and stuff. Like he had his business, he was an electrician. He had like really good reviews. And it was just really odd to think of this man going out like into his community, going into people's homes and people like being like, oh, he's he's great, you know, leaving him good reviews and stuff. And then like behind the scenes, he's doing like this really gross, disturbing online stalking and harassment. So that was very disturbing to me. And then at that point, I decided to call the police and see what my options were. So I told him, I emailed him and I said, if you contact me again, I'm going to file a restraint order. And I figured that I'd better figure out what that actually entails in case he did contact me again. I called SFPD since I was in San Francisco and I had a female officer that I spoke with and she was like very understanding and supportive, but she told me that I needed to call the Pasadena police department. So I was like, okay, you know, if I hear from him again, I'm going to call the Pasadena police department and like see what my options are. And I kind of want to pause there because I know that you had a different experience when you decided to go to law enforcement. Yeah, I tried everything. I did the same thing as Elise. We we found out that we have a lot of similarities when we were on our trip and as we've been talking over this past year for our travel group. And so I think that we both were like, okay, we're going to solve this ourselves because there's no other way to do this. And so I also tried to reverse stalk my stalker, but I was unable to do so. They had been using an email on my blog that they were no longer using. It was defunct. And so when I would try to email that person to ask them to stop, because I felt like that was the rational next step to say, hey, I'm not asking for you to do this. You are being asked to stop. I felt like which is kind of silly. As a woman, we shouldn't have to do that. But I think I've been so trained in my life to feel like it's necessary to tell unwanted advances. I'm not interested. You need to stop. And so I felt like maybe that was the reason why he hadn't stopped yet. And so I tried to email him back and I would get bounced emails back. And I really didn't know what to do at that point because I couldn't get in contact with him and I didn't have a last name. Um, He was using a VPN when he was commenting on my blog, which means that every single time he was commenting, it was coming from a different location around the world. So I really didn't know where he was from. I couldn't narrow it down. I would like look from his first name in places that I thought that he would be, but again, it was all over the world. So the next best thing I could do was try to hack into the email. So what I did do is go into the email and when I was getting bounced emails, I thought that maybe he had blocked me from sending him emails to get correspondence. But I went into the email and I hit forgot password and I somehow lucked into getting into this person's email account because I created a new password for it. And I was able to see that I was not the only one that he was keeping tabs on. So this was before Elise and I knew that each other were being stalked. And I got into the email and there's something that is called blog Levin, which is an RSS feed of sorts. You can subscribe to blogs and it'll update you when uh, certain people you're subscribed to post to their blog. And he had subscribed to a bunch of different bloggers. And I didn't know what to do with that information. I was like, obviously I'm not the only one, but also do I tell these women if I tell them and I don't have any further information on this person, does that just make them feel uneasy? 
is it causing more chaos or is it helping solve a problem? Because at this point, I really didn't know who he was. And so even though I hacked into his email and I could see his previous subscriptions, it didn't get me anywhere. And I wasn't able to find out who this person was until Elise and I connected the dots and she was able to tell me all about her story and the Poshmark and how she was able to reverse engineer, if you will, this stalker's whole life. And so when I contact, contacted the police, I contacted SLP, uh, Salt Lake City Police Department. And the first police, he was understanding. I think that he really wanted to try to help me. He it kind of felt like I was talking to somebody that might've had a daughter, you know, he was concerned about the situation, but I could tell that he really didn't know what to do with what he had. And so I gave him all of the information I had. I gave him all of the VPN addresses, which was a lot. I gave him all of the comments, which was like 200 plus comments that were left on my blog and the information that I had, like the email address and everything. But like I said, the internet's a big world. It really didn't give him a lot to go off of especially with what the resources he had were. I mean, he's not FBI. He's just a local police detective. And he's like, you know, I can do as much as you've done. I probably would have done what you've already done. This is as far as we've gotten. Please just keep me updated. And that was it. And for me, that was a little bit of closure because I didn't want anything to happen to me where I had not contacted authorities. I really was concerned for my safety and I was worried that if I didn't tell anybody about what was going on, that it wouldn't be on record. And so even though the police weren't able to do anything at that point, I was like, you know, I need to let them know. So that way they have record of all of these things in case anything terrible happens to me so that they can go further with it or, you know, prosecute further once they do find out who it is. And that was the biggest pull for me contacting the police. And so if anybody is watching this or listening to this, and you also feel like you are unable to find out who your stalker is, or you just keep hitting dead ends with it, I would, I mean, Elise and I ultimately didn't get a ton of help from the police, but I would still urge you to let people know all of the evidence that you do have just in case, because that's important when it comes to getting people prosecuted in court. So it might not help now, but it could help in the long term. So eventually my case was passed on to a different detective in Salt Lake City and they ended up calling me and I didn't have any new updates. And this police officer said to me, after we talked back and forth, I could tell he was a little bit more calloused about the situation. And again, like I said, with the other guy, I felt like maybe he had a daughter, so he was a little bit more empathetic. And this other police officer felt a little bit more detached from the situation, like he dealt with these all the time. Maybe he just hears from complaints a lot. And he was like, I don't know what you expected when you are opening up yourself online and you're posting yourself online and you have a public profile. And at that moment, I, I got really upset so much so that my husband who had been helping me with these phone calls because they they made me anxious and nervous I didn't like talking about it I didn't even like thinking about the situation at that time I wouldn't even go and read the comments on my blog because I didn't want to have to deal with confronting everything that was going on and so 
I had my husband close by and he took the phone from me because I was livid that this police officer had told me that it was my fault for posting online. I knew as not only as a woman, but just as a public figure that I had the right to do whatever I want, post whatever I want, say whatever I want without having harassment or feeling like I did not feel safe. And it was so funny to me that a public authority could not see that. And obviously he might've been calloused. He probably deals with these situations all the time. I'm being, I'm being forgiving right now because I, I don't want to paint this guy as a bad guy. I'm sure he's a great guy, but it really, for me was a turning point in realizing that public authorities like police officers need a little bit more training on dealing with these types of situations. Yeah, absolutely. That just like, I mean, you're being very you're, you're giving that police officer a lot of grace because <laughs> that, I mean, that makes my blood boil. Like that's like telling a woman like, well, I don't know what you expected getting raped. You were walking down the street. I should be able to post on my blog without someone sexually harassing me. Like that should yeah. not be something that we are even discussing the Absolutely. validity at that point. And I will point out that when it happened, as mad as I was, I still went into that victim mentality and I was like, maybe he's right. You know, maybe I do deserve this. Maybe I did ask for this. Even though I'm not posting suggestive things, perhaps that is what I have to deal with, with this job. And it wasn't until I reached out to other women that had dealt with it. I ended up getting connected with a local newswoman that is around our age. And she deals with stalkers a lot that she was like, no, you don't have to feel like it's your fault. You can have a job where you can be a public figure. You don't need to deal with people doing this. Unwanted harassment is never okay, regardless of how you act, how you dress, what you say, who you are in the community. And she's like, and if you want to go to therapy for this, you should. And for me, that was so validating because, and of course my husband is really supportive and said all this, but I'm like, I didn't take it seriously because maybe he's a male or he isn't a public figure. It felt a little bit more real coming from another woman that was also in the limelight and hearing that. And I was like, okay, it's okay to feel this way, you know, and move forward and find solutions to help me cope with that situation. Hold up. I have to tell you about my new What the Fab presets. I finally launched digital product and let me tell you, it was a lot harder than I expected it to be, but I am so excited that they're live. They're available. You can shop them on the website. You can just go to whatthefab.com slash presets to see them in all their freaking glory. <laughs> These presets are something that I have been refining and tweaking over the years. And after almost a decade of being a travel blogger and lifestyle blogger, I'm finally making them available to you to purchase and to use on your own photos. So whether you are a full-time content creator or this is your side hustle or you just want beautiful aesthetic photos for your feed, I'd love for you to check them out. Presets are honestly a game changer. Using Lightroom presets has really optimized how I'm able to edit my photos. It makes everything cohesive and beautiful and branded so that when you see one of my pictures on Instagram or Pinterest, you know that it's coming from what the fab. And you can have that kind of brand cohesiveness too by using the presets and tweaking them for your own skin tone and style. They also have saved me hours upon hours of editing photos. I mean, it used to take me half a day to go through 
you know, hundreds of photos from a shoot. Now I can just do it within one or two clicks. And then if I'm using desktop, batch sync it across all of the photos. It's amazing. Like I said, game changer. And these presets are, they're light and airy and will make your photos look beautiful, whether you're shooting on an iPhone or in the raw on DSLR. I've got the mobile pack. I've got the desktop pack. So there's something for everyone. If you want to edit just on the go, the mobile pack is a great option and you can use Lightroom mobile. The app is free. So that's a really great option for someone who's doing this as a side hustle or a beginner. And then if you are building building a brand, um, maybe this is your full-time thing, you'll probably want both the mobile and the desktop versions because then you'll be able to edit on the go on the app, but then also really like sit down in front of your computer, do that batch editing I was talking about, and just have that really cohesive vibe across all of your photos. So I hope you'll check them out. And I'm so excited I have a little gift for you. So you can get one of my mobile presets for free. Just go to whatthefab.com slash free and you can get my World Traveler mobile preset for free and you can use it on the Adobe Lightroom app on your phone. And the World Traveler preset, I've used it on every type of photo imaginable. It's light and airy and beautiful and just makes you look glowy. I've used it on selfies, date night pics, home decor, food, um, my friend's kids, and of course, my jet-setting travel pics. So I know that you will love it. Again, go to whatthefab.com slash free to grab that free preset for yourself. Enjoy it, love it, use it. I can't wait to see what kinds of photos you create with it and be sure to use hashtag WTFab presets so I can see and share all my stories. All right, let's get back to the episode. Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk about the kind of like shame and guilt that comes with that. And I'm so glad that you were able to connect with that news reporter and kind of it for me, like it helped when I connected with you about it. So I'm, I'm really glad to hear that you were able to get that kind of support from another woman who has dealt with similar situations because for me, like I felt a lot of just kind of like embarrassment and like shame over it. I didn't tell anyone except for my husband about it. And this is actually my first time speaking on my platform about it. Well, we can get into this a little bit more later, but I, I haven't heard from our stalker since 2019. So it's been a couple of years and I finally feel ready to talk about it. I actually blocked my family from being able to view this live because I haven't told them yet. And now I feel ready and I definitely will before the podcast episode goes live because my my mom and my <laughs> sister listen to my podcast. But it just, it's like, kind of like you were saying, like, it was just such an icky situation that like, I didn't want to think about it. I didn't want to talk about it. I just wanted to make sure that I was safe and my husband knew you know, what was going on and that I was like taking my own precautions to, to be safe. But on top of that, like guilt and shame and embarrassment, there was also just kind of like the mental health side of it. Like there was a lot of anxiety for me that came with this and like, it would kind of, you know, dip and come in, in waves and it sort of depended on his behavior and what was going on. But there were definitely, you know, times where, I was walking home and heard footsteps behind me and thought like, is that my stalker? Just like these kind of triggering moments and thoughts. And so I'm, I'm wondering how 
you know, that was for you and how you dealt with that and and what that experience was like. Yes. This is one of the similarities that I feel like we had. Another similarity that we had is that we both realized that he was not coherent when he was leaving comments. It it felt disjointed, not rational. Something was obviously wrong by these comments that were going on. And for some reason that made me feel a little bit more, uh, unnerved about the situation because when it comes to mental health, as much as I have dealt with it, or I know somebody in my family or friends that has dealt with mental health, I also know that sometimes that can be a situation that is hard to defuse. And so, yeah, I absolutely felt the same exact way. I didn't know where he was from. I didn't know if he was from my hometown, if he was from my apartment building, if he was a friend that I had let into my life. And so when I was doing things, I absolutely was like, oh my gosh, was that my stalker? Like you said, the footsteps thing. I was super careful about making sure that my door was always locked. I even went so far as I I didn't want to go out by myself anymore because I wasn't sure if I was going to be giving too much information away. Like, oh, she goes to the same place every time, every day, you know, which is something that somebody that's stalking you would pick up on. And I didn't want to create a pattern of behavior that would put me into an unsafe situation. And I actually got so paranoid about it that I was worried that maybe my stalker had video cameras outside my window. And it was just a fleeting thought, but it happened still. I was like, you know, what if I am like opening up my window and they are somehow recording me and I'm not aware of it just because I didn't know who they were. And even knowing who they are with all of the technology that we let into our lives, you're never really sure. And so I became a little bit paranoid and also dealt with those same feelings that you had. And I don't even know if I had a coping mechanism for it other than just making sure that I was very careful about posting where I was. You know, I delayed all of my social media posts so that I was out of a situation or a place before I told people that I was there. I even to this day do that, not because of the stalker, but just to be a precautious person. I don't post immediately when I'm in a situation. Um, so yeah, I don't know how I really dealt with that other than just kind of going through through the emotions of it, which I think is necessary sometimes. I think that we often learn to not feel things. And I think that you and I both realize that we kind of had to feel those emotions and come to the realization that this is real. We need to be cautious and it's okay to feel these things. Yeah, absolutely. Who all did you tell? I know you told your husband. Was there anyone else? And what were their reactions? I told my family. I'm really close with my immediate family. There's only three other members. So I have my mom, my dad, and my brother. And I let them all know. It was a topic of conversation for me because I was so anxious about it that I couldn't help myself but talk about it. But I really didn't tell too many other people. I remember opening up about it on my Instagram stories one time and I realized that maybe that wasn't the best choice because 
I didn't know who this person was and I could be validating their behavior, you know, giving them the attention that they wanted. And so from that point forward, I didn't acknowledge it on social media because I didn't want them to feel like I was paying attention to them, even if it was negative attention. Because when it comes to people that are a little bit irrational, negative attention is still attention. So I, yeah, I kind of went quiet about it, even with friends. I just didn't talk about it. I don't know if it was the shame or sometimes it's not just with this, but in in regards to a lot of things, you just don't want to tell people what's going on in your life because you don't want to sound like a broken record. And so maybe I didn't bring it up again because I didn't want people to be like, oh, there she goes again, you know, talking about this. So I really only opened up to my husband and my immediate family. This episode is brought to you by Flowdesk. Flowdesk is an incredible email marketing service provider, and they are the platform that I use for my email campaigns for What the Fab. The platform is so intuitive and easy to use. It's very drag and drop. And best of all, it's aesthetic AF. The templates are beautiful, and you can easily add your own brand colors to it to make sure that your emails look and feel like you. I used to use MailChimp back in the day, but after trying Flowdesk out about a year ago, I was in love and I know you will be too. You can give Flowdesk a try for 30 days free and if you want to keep them, which I know you will, you can use my referral link to lock in a 50% off price at $19 a month and lock that in forever. You can get this offer and try it for free at whatthefab.com Flowdesk and that is spelled F-L-O-D-E-S-K. That's whatthefab.com slash flowdesk. I can't wait to see what stunning emails you create. Okay, let's get back to the episode. Yeah, similar to you, I didn't talk about it. I mean, like I mentioned, I haven't talked about it on my platform until now. And I kind of same thing, like I didn't want to acknowledge it. I didn't want, because I knew that at the time he was watching every story, every looking at every blog post, like I didn't want to give him any kind of validation or attention. Now that, you know, I haven't heard from him in two years, I hope I never hear from him again. But like, I do kind of wonder what, happened. I'm like, did you die? Like what made you stop? I'm glad to not be hearing from him, but I was literally Googling Pasadena obituaries under his, his name. Like, did he die? Like how, (laughs) how did I finally get him to stop contacting me? And did you, has it been a couple of years since you've been contacted by him too? Or when was the last time you had an interaction? Yeah. So the last time I had an interaction is the second time that I was able to contact him. I had contacted the police. So I felt like I had a little bit more of a empowerment behind me. And so I hadn't been letting his comments go through. They were just sitting in my trash so that I had a record of them, but they weren't on my blog. So I didn't have to acknowledge them. And I eventually let one through and I commented back and said, Hey, I'm not interested. You need to stop contacting me. Just so you know, I've let all of the evidence and the comments go through to the police officers and they are fully aware that you're stalking me. And the first time the comment went through, but I, he commented again and both you and I went through these periods where he would comment 
in succession. And then he would not comment for a really long time. So he commented again, I think it was like the next day. And in my mind, I was like, okay, maybe he didn't read it because obviously he's not getting notifications on this defunct email. So I commented the same exact thing, let his comment go through, hey, your advances are unwanted. I've let all of these evidence and comments go through to the police. This is stalking behavior. You need to stop. And I haven't heard from him since. I believe that was March of last year. And again, it's it's so funny how I know that he's out there. Like you said, you were looking up obituaries. I believe he's still out there and he could be doing it to other people, which is scary. And we need to stop that. And there's not enough resources for you and I to stop that, obviously, because of how we were treated by authorities. But he not contacting me still gives me a little bit of peace of mind, even though he could be watching me, which is unfortunate. I just, I don't want that harassment attacking me in my everyday peace of mind. And so, yeah, I can't remember what your question is. I hope I answered it. You did. Yeah. I, I think, I think I had asked, you know, who you told and their reaction and the last time that you had heard from him, what was your husband's kind of reaction and response. He was supportive. He actually went out of his way to try to help me find a specific therapist that could help me with a situation like this. And at the time I wasn't going to therapy. If he'd done it now, I'd probably be like, I already have a therapist because once you have a therapist, you're, you're kind of attached to that and you don't want to have to go through the whole process of finding a new one. But at the time, I also wasn't sure if it was a valid reason to go to therapy and I've changed my mindset completely. You don't need a valid reason. You can go to therapy. Everybody should go to therapy, no matter your mental state, like even if you're feeling like you're doing great. But I was going through that victim mentality where I wasn't sure if I was overreacting on a situation, which is unfortunately something that a lot of people go through when they have something like this happen in their life. Yeah. My husband, I, Amid's going to listen to this episode and he, he might feel some type of way about what I'm about to say, but <laughs> I love you, honey, but your, your reaction wasn't necessarily the, how <laughs> I would have desired your support to have been. Omid was very like, he was trying to make me feel better by trying to kind of downplay the situation and like my need to worry. He was like, you know, there's crazy people out there, but the chances are slim to none that like anything he would actually ever act on anything. He's just like, you know, some crazy person on the internet. Like you don't need to worry about it. He was like, maybe you should just put a filter on his email address so that you don't get his emails. And I was like, no, like I feel like even though it gives me a heart attack when I see them pop up, I feel like I need to know what he's saying, because what if he sends me an email saying like, I'm coming to San Francisco to get you. Like I need to be aware, you know, of what's happening. So that wasn't helpful for me. You know, he tried to be like, well, imagine like Kylie Jenner, like how Kendall Jenner, like how, how many crazy people they must have like messaging them and, and sending them shit. And I was like, yeah, but I'm not Kendall Jenner. I don't have a bodyguard. I don't have 24 seven security at my home. It just wasn't quite the 
And usually we're, we're so like in sync and on the same page. So it kind of frustrated me that he just wasn't quite understanding it from like a female perspective of how anxiety inducing this was. Like I was having nightmares about it. Like it's just, you know, I, I was getting heart palpitations when I heard footsteps behind me. It, it's hard to put it into words. And I think maybe if you haven't experienced it, or you're not a woman, it's hard to kind of understand just how much that can weigh on you. So I just, you know, want to tell people like we've, we've already touched on this, not blaming yourself, figuring out what you can do to protect yourself, contacting the authorities, seeking mental health support from a therapist. There are all of these things and resources that you can be looking into. And just like taking those little steps has helped me feel like I've taken back my power a bit because you can feel really powerless in this situation. Is there anything that you want to add to that, Lauren? Yeah, I would agree that you can feel powerless, especially when you feel like you have more information than the people that are supposed to help you, like local authorities. And we talked about it a little bit when we were on our Chicago trip. Actually, I feel like we talked about it a lot, how we felt that a lot of the people when we were in Chicago were kind of aggressive with thinking that they could say anything to us as women, catcall, approach, approach us. Yeah, we were, were doing photo shoots and they would stop their car and catcall. We even had men getting out of their car and getting close to us. And I don't want to paint women as powerless because we obviously have a lot of authority and power, but is a very interesting situation. I can't really think of many situations where women would do the same thing to men. And I think that because of how society has made it, we often feel like we are to blame because we're being catcalled or we're being approached, or maybe we've been too suggestive. And so we've asked for it. And I want to make sure that we break down those walls and say, no, like you have every right and authority to do what you want to do without having any type of approach from anybody that's unwanted. And that's okay. You, you're allowed to be yourself without having other people come into your personal space, even if you're a woman. And so that's like what I want to drive home with this podcast and this live is you're not to blame for any of that, no matter what people are doing on the outside that you can't control. Yeah. I think especially if you're a woman. Do not come into my personal space. That was like in Chicago. I mean, I really feel like our group is going to have to come up with a better way to deal with unwanted male attention because we're a group of five pretty girls like getting dressed up and shooting photos. It does draw attention. But for men to be like yelling at us, the guy that stopped in the middle of the street and got out of his car to stand behind you, like that was scary. I kind of froze because I was like, is he gonna is he gonna touch her? Like, what is his intent here? And yeah, it's just it's really frustrating. I think that like with the online stalker situation, what was so frustrating was like I have the receipt. Here's all the evidence. Obviously, this is not okay. This is unwanted, but I don't know what the fuck to do with all of this. You know, you contacted the police and not a lot came out of it. I was getting so kind of desperate for a resolution for this. When I was doing my reverse stalking and I found his wife's information, I was this close to calling his wife and being like, 
collect your man. Here's the receipts. <laughs> get it together. I am sick of hearing from your deranged husband. Get it together. Cause I cannot, I didn't actually do that. Cause I was like, Oh, it just might make things worse. But you think about like, what can I do? What can I actually do to make this stop? I know we've kind of talked a little bit about how we've been healing from this. I know that you spoke at a local event in your community. I would love for you to share a little bit more about that if you're open to it. Yeah. Part of my healing is taking back my power. And I think that that's something that people that are healing or I've seen minorities do is taking back the power of a word or of their body. And so for me, wearing clothing that would be more deemed revealing in my community. I, I'm in a very conservative community. Wearing things that show my cleavage or show my legs or show my arms, you know, and that sounds a little bit ridiculous, but again, conservative community. Showing those things for me and feeling confident and not worrying about people judging me or approaching me or feeling like I might be stalked is one of the ways that I've taken back my power. I also opened up to UCASA, which is Utah Coalition Against Sexual Assault, and they also deal with stalking. You know, sexual assault is kind of a broad umbrella that covers a lot of things. And so I spoke at a conference at about that. And that was the first time that I really told my whole stalking story. And going into the event, they told me I was going to be speaking. I knew it was for about 10 minutes, but I really didn't know until I got up on that stage that that was what I was going to be talking about. And so it was off the cuff, just raw. And I did post that on my feed, but that was really empowering for me, especially because I was able to see the community of women around me rise up and support me and say, Hey, we believe in you. You know, this isn't allowed to happen. This shouldn't be happening. This is wrong. And so that gave me my power back as well. UCASA is for Utah, but I do know that they have other coalitions in other states, but they offer resources for women that feel like they are powerless in situations. And so I would urge anybody that is going through stalking or maybe emotional abuse, sexual abuse, anything of that matter to research an area that could help you. They have nurses that will do checkups on you 24 hours a day. They offer shelter and food and lots of different like therapy type situations. So that's super important for anybody that's going through a situation where they feel like they don't have anybody around them because this can be very alienating. Like we talked about, we didn't talk to anybody and you don't know if people are going to scoff at you because you're feeling a certain way or you're telling them and they're going to be like, no, she's making up that story. You know, I was honestly afraid that people would be like, oh, of course she thinks she has a stalker. So it's alienating because you're afraid to open up to people. And also when you do open up to people, not everybody is receptive to it. So finding somebody in your community that can point you in the right direction or offer resources is essential. Sorry, I went Definitely. on for a long time. No, that, I mean, all like great points. I love that you like first opened up about it and spoke about it at that event. And then I'm, I'm just like picturing like a community of women, like lifting you up and supporting you, <laughs> which I'm sure felt so great. And the other thing that I do want to mention, because I feel like, you know, we've kind of been reiterating, like if you're going through this or something similar, like it's not your fault, seek resources. I do also want to mention this as like, 
a cautionary tale for other bloggers that might not have had this type of experience yet because I sometimes, you know, you don't think about these things until it happens. But, you know, sometimes it blows my mind, like seeing some of my friends that have like really large followings and they are giving out their home address for like PR packages and stuff. Like you just have to be so careful with your personal information. You know, that blogger that left that original comment in the Facebook group that like cued me into the the fact that you've had a stalker too, like with kids, like that really freaks me out because... I feel like so many bloggers post their children and it's such a like normal thing to see. But after this experience, I don't know. I have talked about this with Omid. I'm like, I'm sure if we have kids, they're going to be so cute and I'm going to want to post them on Instagram. But I don't think that I feel comfortable. Like, you know, I think about the gross comments and messages that I received from, from our stalker and from other men too. And as disgusting as they are, I can't imagine receiving a comment like that about my young daughter or my young son, like just how upsetting that would be. So that's something that I think about too. Um, I think, you know, I've definitely gone a little bit overboard on like the security systems in our new house. Like we live in a very safe neighborhood, but we've got like several security cameras. We've got an alarm system. Like we've got all the things, even though I'm sure that our neighbors like don't have those types of systems set up because it's just not necessary in our neighborhood, but that's like literally what helps me sleep at night. Um, so just kind of like being on that sort of overly cautious side and yeah, I just want bloggers to think about, and there, there's so many kind of ways that our information can get out there and it's, it's something that we should all be keeping in mind as we're public figures and posting public information about our lives. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. As much as I've realized that it's not my fault and I should be able to post things, I'm still very cautious. And I agree with everything that you said. It made me, although it was already a conversation I'd had with my husband, you know, will I open up about my kids when we have kids? It really made me think that no, I wouldn't because I didn't want to put them in a similar situation. And yeah, we have to be cautious in the digital age because there's just, you can't delete the internet or information that you put out there. Once you put it out there, it's out there. And it could potentially harm your safety. And so, yeah, I agree with everything that you said. Well, Lauren, thanks so much for coming on the podcast for a second time. (laughs) And I have to say that even though it was the whole thing is obviously a really negative experience. I'm really grateful that we were able to realize that we were had both gone through the same thing. It was definitely nice to just have that support from a friend and kind of be able to talk about it and realize that a lot of the thoughts and feelings that I had were completely normal and shared. So I just really appreciate you one for like being supportive and sharing your time and and support and discussing it with me, but then also for opening up about it and joining me on the podcast too. Of course. Thank you. Uh, It means the world to have 
what do they say? It's misery loves company. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it's nice to be able to heal together because it it sure is easier. So yeah, thank you as well. Definitely. (laughs) All right. Well, we are going to sign off of this live, y'all. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Lauren. Yes, of course. Thanks, Elise. Bye. Bye. All right. Thank you again to Lauren for joining me for this conversation. I think it's such an important topic and there's obviously still a lot of work that needs to be done and room for improvement in how situations like these are handled. If you've made it this far, thank you for listening and your support would mean the world. I would love it if you could hop on over to Apple Podcasts and rate and review the podcast. Five stars only, please. And if you could share this episode on your stories, tag me, tag Lauren. I'm WTFab and she's at Lauren Cakes. Lauren is spelled L-A-U-R-Y-N. We'd love to hear, you know, your thoughts and reactions and just kind of spread this message a little bit further because again, I think it's an important one. Other than that, um, thank you all for listening and I am off to go call my mom and tell her about my online stalker so she hears it from me first instead of from this podcast episode. So wish me luck and we will chat again soon.